0: where as always hopefully theology doesn't suck. Uh, For those of you who don't know me yet, my name is Josh Patterson. I am one half of the dynamic duo here at Theology Doesn't Suck and with me as always is the one and only Andy Herman.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: I'm good, man. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm excited. Tonight's gonna be a fun night.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty excited too, man. And actually, before we get going, I'm kind of interested. I see only half of it but i see a flag uh in your background and it it looks like bacon and eggs yes
1: it is so it's a new mexico flag for those of you who have not seen the new mexico flag or maybe you have seen it there's a zia symbol you should look it up because it's kind of hard to explain but there's a zia (laughs) symbol on the flag and it's a circle with a bunch of lines coming out so there's like there's four lines coming out of each side of the circle so the top the two sides and the bottom. And this artist, this New Mexico artist, he's made a, a New Mexico flag where the circle is a fried egg, and the lines are bacon strips. And I actually have that same logo, Josh, tattooed on my thigh. You do, uh, which which you've seen. So <laughs> <laughs> I have. I don't know what that says. I don't remember when you saw my thigh, but you did. That's that's um, a different episode, Andy. That's a different episode.
0: Wha- <laughs> <laughs> dude that that so that is true you do how many tattoos do you have now because you like i think we used to be even and then i started slacking and you have far surpassed me yeah which just honestly just means you're tougher than i am much more edgy a lot cooler
1: oh yeah i'm way i'm way hardcore man um (laughs) yeah i don't (laughs) know how many tattoos i have exactly exactly, but i haven't gotten one in a while it's been like at least five months now i think so it's kind of sad
0: Wow, it's really been like a year for me. <laughs> wow. Well, it is sad, to, but dude, you did, though, you. the American traditional style, mm-hmm. you definitely did inspire me because the, the, my most recent piece on my back is American traditional style, and I really yeah, like I it. You, I'm fond of it. Yeah,
1: I a picture of that. It's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice well, tattoo. you
0: showed me your thigh, so I only, you know, my back. <laughs> um,
1: it's only fair that you would show me your back, I guess, since I showed you my thigh. It's only sure. fair.
0: Well... <laughs> We might need to step away from this conversation. We have something cool today, right? (laughs) Yeah, speaking of uh, thighs, I don't
1: know how that's a segue. But today we're talking about pedo-baptism. Babies have Hmm. thighs. They Uh, do. And and when you baptize them, their thighs might get wet. You never know. (laughs) Uh, Also, their backs might get wet. And so today we're talking about pedo-baptism, which... Uh, if you don't know, paedo means, like, infant or child. So, basically, to put it simply, paedo-baptism is the belief that infants and small children should be baptized along with adults. The infants and small children who are children of believers, to be specific. And with us, we actually have uh, two very special guests. Um, one will probably do most of the talking, but uh, I have with me Mr. Adam Viramontes. Hello, hello. I didn't know if that was the. That was the cue to say hi. Okay. Sorry,
2: yeah. Rarely,
1: my address by Mr. Mister. Mister. <laughs> sorry, the the good Reverend Vera Montes. That's more um, Adam. So, <laughs> Reverend Adam is my pastor at the uh, PCA Church that I am a member of. Well, becoming a member of currently since we just moved. Um, and then also with us is, and I'm really sorry, I don't know your last name, but chastin Cooper. Chastin Cooper. All right, and uh, apologies. Chasten's kind of far away from yeah. the mic. We kind of pushed him out, so if he sounds quiet, that's why. Uh, hmm. But Chasten Cooper is also with us. With us, he is a member of Mosaic PCA, which is the church that I attend. Adam pastors. He's with us here tonight as well. He uh, also can't hear Josh because we have a very ghetto setup. Um, <laughs> but he, he may he may still chime in from time to time. Uh, so we have these two wonderful guests with us, and apparently. Uh, we found out last episode. Every podcast says that their guests are very special. So oh, I'm yeah, going to say did. that you guys, you guys are our super duper guests. Wow. Yeah, our super duper uh, guests. I feel honored. You should. We're rolling deep tonight. Oh yeah, this is serious. <laughs> we so,
2: go hard
0: here.
1: Oh yeah, we. This is serious business, man. So, uh, Adam, would you mind just for our listening audience, for our what I don't know what's smaller than dozens ones Uh, for our ones of adoring fans for our couples of adoring fans (laughs) although that makes it sound like it's only couples that listen i don't think we have any couples that listen but for our wife
0: listens well sometimes (laughs) (laughs) sometimes
1: for our single digits of adoring fans uh would you mind going ahead and just giving a little quick bio of yourself sure
2: um uh yeah uh i um I've got a, a wife, um, she, we've been married, uh, almost 15 years now. We've got three pretty amazing kids, uh, a couple boys and a girl all baptized. Um, let's see, uh, That's good. grew up, uh, was kind of grew up in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I wasn't born here, but, but really, uh, spent most of my, uh, childhood and, and youth years here in Albuquerque and then journeyed away and traveled, uh, you know, we went west uh, to to Arizona for college, down south a little bit, and, and I don't know if if this is me kind of giving my spiritual
1: journey or not, but that's that's kind of us in a nutshell a little bit. Awesome. And uh, how long have you been pastoring Mosaic for now? Yeah, so
2: Mosaic is a pretty pretty young church. Uh, we're coming up on three years uh, as a church, and uh, we we planted the church um, started in our living room. And so uh, what started with a couple families in our living room is now, uh, you know, uh, a young, thriving, growing little church plant on the west side of Albuquerque. So we're we're coming up on three years now.
1: Uh, That's awesome. That. Praise yeah. God. Yeah. Very awesome. Well, uh, before we dive into the topic, Josh, do you have any burning questions for Adam? Any deep personal questions, preferably?
0: Oh, man. Yeah. Uh... Oh, I got a super deep one. Okay. Uh, Adam, do you like ice hockey?
2: Oh, Josh. Um, so, Josh, I'm from Is that from too America. personal, too quick? <laughs> um, I'm an American, so I mostly watch football. Um, okay. In fact, when I listened to your guys' introductory podcast, and you started talking about hockey... Um I started he immediately multi shut it off. Multi-tent. Yeah, oh, that's no. when you shut it off. Um, I'm sorry <laughs> that's guys. That's when he shut it off. <laughs> I can't I really can't chat about hockey. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about hockey mm-hmm. other than the season's really long. It is pretty and, long. It's very difficult to watch on television, in my personal opinion. Wow.
1: Okay, you want to know a sport that's difficult to watch on televi- television? Let's talk about baseball. Okay. Baseball okay. is so boring. <laughs> baseball is difficult to watch on that's television. That's fine. I, I will I will. You'll agree that there? to you. Okay. Pick up
2: baseball in about the seventh inning, and that's about fun. Yeah. yeah
0: there you pretty go. Much. But so Aston, you're a football fan, then?
1: Are you yeah, Are a you a hockey fan at all, Tastin? I'm not. Okay. Man. I'm sorry. He's not a hockey fan. Well, you guys are disappointing me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, And I thought I was the heretic. <laughs> then, like so, <laughs> so Josh, I think what we've learned though from this conversation is to get more listeners, we need to pretend to be really interested in football. Is that what? Yeah, I, mean? I, I think, think so. I okay. think that would serve you well. All right. Did you see them, the Steelers, the other day? They put the hurtin' on the Panthers.
0: Yeah, they did. So that's... which sucks because I'm I'm actually a Ravens fan because I'm from ha- Baltimore. How, so. how about that
1: Le'Veon wow. Bell situation? I only know about Steelers stuff, so I don't know anything else about the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is which is why Andy and I are good friends. Yeah, Adam's actually uh, a Steelers fan, so
2: yeah. Oh, really? Was, right was, on. Yeah, and and you like the Ravens, and I still yeah. I still like you, Josh. But man, that's not as swallow. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: this re- this relationship might just not work out. Not it's starting getting, off well. right? <laughs> a rocky
1: start. You're a Credo Baptist, yeah. and you don't like, and you like the Ravens. Right. So that's yeah, right. I
0: like the Ravens.
1: Well, <laughs> I think. It's time to get to our topic for the night. Uh, Adam, yeah. today you you heard me talk about it before, and I think you knew before you got here. Um, we are talking about paedo-baptism. So if you could, just in a nutshell, I know, uh, obviously, you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you've told me, and then also when you first became a Christian, it wasn't necessarily in a paedo-baptist setting. Uh, so could you maybe just give us a little bit of what drew you to paedo-baptism or what kind of... Uh, what are some of like the biblical supports or some of the reasons that it was convincing for you?
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll begin with my experiential journey towards paedobaptism, and then maybe uh, ground that in some biblical and theological stuff. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I grew grew up in an unbelieving home. Um, I, I actually was baptized uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, um, mostly um, mostly to to satisfy grandma's curiosity and desires. So Mm -hmm. we really weren't even uh, practicing Catholics, but I was baptized as an infant and became a Christian in college. So the way I really share my spiritual journey is I I had three stations along the way um, and they all had particular uh, settings in which they happened. So I I became a Christian in a garage. I became, Hmm. uh, I became a a Calvinist um, in a a seafood restaurant and then I became a pres- <laughs> and then I became a Presbyterian in the Deep South. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of the those are the stations, and I'll I'll briefly just stop at each of those. So became a Christian in college at, in a friend's college or in a friend's garage. Uh, one of those radical Saul of Tarsus kind of moments, reading the scriptures, hmm. Hmm. God opened my eyes. Um, rare, um, not recommended. That was just my story. Um, <laughs> became a Christian there. Uh, went to college in Phoenix. Um, and I was going to a, a, a small Southern Baptist uh, liberal arts college there. Nobody had ever heard of it at the time. Everybody has now. It's called Grand Canyon University. Mm. But there was a group of guys there uh, who called themselves Calvinists. Um, they hung out on the stairs. They smoked cigarettes and played chess. And, um, I, found them, I found them intriguing. Um, But one of the guys that I was working with, and this is the seafood restaurant, if you're following the journey. uh, One of the guys I was working with at a seafood restaurant during our kind of downtimes between serving tables was just discipling me in the scriptures. And so he would send me home with little sheets of uh, paper with with different passages from the Bible to read. And I I actually saved those. I have those in my house. Um, And and he was really just kind of discipling him in what we know as, as Calvinism. Uh, kind of the Reformed tradition, broadly speaking. And so Ephesians 2 and Romans 9 and all these passages he was just having me read. So I really, because my experience in the garage was much of what the scriptures told me about Calvinism, I really didn't have much of a you know knee-jerk reaction to that. So I became mm-hmm. a, what I would call a Calvinist in college there at the seafood restaurant. And then I decided, uh, as the Lord was calling me towards ministry, we, just, we ended up in the Deep South uh, in Mississippi, um, and, and kind of backstepping a little bit. To this point, we had largely been in kind of non-denominational churches. We were in a vineyard church. If you're familiar with the vineyard movement, we were at a Calvary church. We were at a mega church of over 10,000 people. And so that was that was sort of the church background. And I always felt like I was a a black sheep in those departments. I just didn't feel theologically at home um, because of the things that I had discovered from my study of scripture. And and so when we went to uh, Mississippi uh, for me to do seminary, I, I went to the school because they had a Calvinistic position on their soteriology. So went to Reform Seminary there in Jackson, Mississippi, and that's where we uh, were introduced to Presbyterianism. Um, and it was, like, it was like coming home. Uh, it was like hmm. we had found our family. Uh, it was like you know, prodigal son stuff. Walked in the <laughs> doors. The father was waiting for us. He opened the Westminster Confession, embraced us. And, yeah. and, uh, oh, and, wow. and that's that's kind of where we've been. So um, those are those are the three stations, really, where God kind of worked and 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 of course in my seminary studies there. Um, and maybe I can dabble a little bit in that here in a minute. But that's that's where all of this was grounded leading towards kind of a full-blown reformed understanding of of the scriptures including um, including paedobaptism. baptism
1: hmm. so. so uh just to kind of add on to that so in terms of becoming more fully reformed one of the things i've talked about on past episodes of this podcast is obviously that i'm sure you would agree with is that being a calvinist is not the same as being reformed obviously right it's part of being reformed but there's a lot more to reform theology than just calvinism um, so would you say that your time in the South was when you started to discover kind of the more, f- the, the, some more of the aspects of reform theology, like covenant theology and all that kind of stuff as well? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, I think going into my theological studies, um, I, I thought Calvinism was Reformed theology and, and hmm. really what my studies allowed for me to do was just to kind of have this, just kind of a richer, robust, more historically rooted, um, view of confessions and creeds and church tradition. And, um, I think for me, um, this isn't everyone's story, but, um, for me, this, this understanding of how the scriptures functioned was really put together in, in my covenant theology course. Hmm. So, um, you know, the, the Reverend Ligon Duncan, uh, <laughs> also known as Big Lig um, at, at RTS, um, Big leg, you know, he just, I mean, I, I vividly, I mean, even thinking about it now, I remember going home from my covenant theology classes like my world had been turned upside down.
0: Um,
2: now, now, granted, I, I wasn't well-versed in the scriptures and I, I didn't grow up in them, but, but I really did not have a fundamentally united view of how scripture worked. And, so, and,
1: and you know. could you, because we're, uh, I mean, most of our audience, I would say, is probably... <clears throat> and this is not a diss on our audience, just to preface that, is not you know necessarily super informed on some of this terminology that we're using. So could you just give us, in a nutshell, because I think it'll be relevant later too to the discussion about paedo-baptism, uh, could you just give us a quick description of what covenant theology is?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, off the cuff thinking uh, here, this was not a, a planned question, mm-hmm. but I would say this. Um, for me when I began to understand covenant theology as the God of the old Testament is the God of the new Testament um, that began to shift my thinking um, as well as um, the way God worked from the beginning is the way God has always worked and will continue to work to the end hmm. um, kind of that just unified understanding of, of God um, and then applying that to the scriptures, because I kind of, you know, you looked at this old and new Testament division in a way that really undermined God and the way he worked, um, both in Mm -hmm. history um, and in the scriptures. So I think that was helpful for me.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, and I I would say, as we'll we'll kind of get into it probably, but covenant theology is uh, understanding the way that the Bible is structured by these covenants, by God's uh, relationships with his people, I think is a huge part of understanding why we believe in paedo-baptism um so just to to start moving more in that specific direction uh for you because i know for me i came from a credo baptist background like i think i've talked about on this show i came from like a southern baptist church and it was a big challenge for me to accept paedobaptism. baptism so I, I wrestled with it a lot um and even until recently i mean even, even while i was working at a presbyterian church it was still something i wrestled with for a while um, so for you, was it, uh, a big challenge to accept pedo-baptism as biblical or was it something that just came naturally to you?
2: Um, probably somewhere in between that. So it was not a huge struggle for me. And, and really, I think the reason why is because I wasn't spoon fed, um, a particular set of doctrines f- for my whole upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I really didn't have to overcome <laughs> that. So I, um, so there was that. Um, but I also don't, I don't think it came naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been around, you know, broad evangelical churches for a while to this point. And so certainly infant baptism was, was a new territory for me. Um, I did not have children at the time. So that, that, um, really became a factor later down the road for me Mm -hmm. when we had children. Raise the stakes. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, and so I think, you know, I think a combination of not having this steeped history of being fed a particular set of doctrines, along with usually operating in the theoretical realm, without children of my own, um, when those things kind of came to a head, I think that was that was the thing that really changed things for me.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, so to kind of get at the heart of it, if someone were to come up to you, let's say Josh. Came up to you on the street and he was like, Hey, listen, I think pedobaptism is dumb. I think you're dumb. Why should I believe Whoa. in pedobaptism? Well, I know, I know, Josh, you're much kinder than that. I know you wouldn't actually say I that. I was
0: going to say I'm more harsh than that. But oh, I okay. it. <laughs> well, I can't swear on the
1: podcast, Josh, okay? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought uh, so, I was the
0: one that had that problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so what would you say to someone who comes up to you? And, and you're just going to give them the basic biblical case. They've grown up in a credo-baptist setting, so they believe that only adults who have made a profession of faith should be baptized. Why should they believe that the children of believers should also be baptized?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think I'd probably enter that conversation realizing I'm not going to persuade somebody uh, that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you sure. know, I, I, think, I think the way I would begin that conversation is to... Uh, Really hover around the things that we actually agree on,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, because um, you know this is an important issue. I, I'm passionate about it. I believe it. I've got convictions about it. But it's not an ultimate issue. Okay. Um, yeah. I think you know. I think there are there are close close handed things that we believe in, and there are open handed things. And though this is very important, I think this would be an
1: open handed thing. Yeah. Not um, a not a gospel issue. Yeah. But... Right. Right. So I
2: think I think I would enter that conversation like that. Um, but when I want to convince them of my position on yeah. some things, um, I think I would probably begin um, by just teasing out an understanding of how they view um, the way God has worked in history. Um, so I think, you know, typical American way is we... We really think God is is pretty much American. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, we we kind of think he he lives by the principles of you know capitalism and entrepreneurialism and uh, you know Bill of Rights and those kinds of things. And um, I I think one of the one of the best things that that we can begin to do is to stop viewing the way God works and the way Scripture works uh, through Western eyes. Mm-hmm. And, Amen. Um, you know. So I think.
1: I think a lot of that has to do with that. That's how I would begin. And how do you think those misconceptions play out when it comes to baptism specifically? So what do you think maybe we miss uh, that leads Western Christians to lean more towards credo-baptism?
2: Yeah. So the thing that that Western eyes love about credo-baptism is this idea uh, that what matters most is the individual. Hmm. Um, And so... The, the the thing that we celebrate about a, a, a new believer being baptized which by the way we believe should happen um, and and should be celebrated um, is that we primarily think uh, that the the act of baptism is about what the individual has done hmm. um, and so when we when we begin to think about that and then you connect that to a young child uh, who has done nothing, um, it's it's hard to make that connection. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I think credo baptisms in, in good in good motive and good desire mm-hmm. long to celebrate somebody coming to faith and making a profession and, and all these things. Right. Um. And, and and they look at the the child being baptized and they f- they fail to see that. And so essentially it becomes
1: irrelevant yeah and so i think i've heard at at the baptist churches i was involved with the way they define baptism is i remember because this phrase was burned into me uh it's an outward expression of an inward change so they view baptism as it's a way of expressing our commitment to jesus right and josh would i don't know would you say that's more or less the understanding you've you have or have grown up with or
0: yeah, I'll say. Well, I'll say it this way. I'll say that's the that's the way that I've been been commonly taught. I'll kind of I'll reveal my hand a little bit uh, later when we talk about it. Okay. But yeah, like even even the church that I worked at, um, you know, prior to where I am now, they they talked he about who shall not be named. <laughs> well, I can't throw yeah. shade because I kind of yeah. dissed them in one of our episodes, so I'm not trying to burn any bridges. Anyway. Um, <laughs> But they, how they talked about it was like, oh, now that you're a new believer, this is your first step in obedience. Like, if you don't get this right, then, you know, you're not going to get anything right kind of thing. So, yeah, Yeah. basically an outward expression, letting people know, like, I've made this decision. This is my public proclamation of faith kind of thing.
1: And Yeah, and so I think one of the things, and Adam, maybe if you have something to add on to this or you want to modify it or whatever you think about this, feel free to say, but... One of the, the radical shifts for me coming around to Paito Baptism was going from thinking bapti- thinking of baptism as an expression of my faith, uh, to thinking about it as a seal of God's promise. And so thinking of baptism it's not it's not expressing what I've done or what I'm doing, but it's expressing it's an expression of God of what he's doing and what his promises are. And so I think I think that's like a fundamental difference that we would have in understanding baptism between Credo Baptists Pado baptist would would you say that's pretty much in line with with what with your thinking or how would you put it
2: yeah absolutely um i think i think that is frequently the the framework that that's that that's put in and 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 let me be clear i mean we believe that 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 people should profess belief Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. that profess belief ought to be baptized um but the the thing people are looking for in baptism um, is is not what it says about the individual. Uh, from our perspective, it would be what it says about God's pursuit
1: of that individual. Sure. Yeah, and so, so baptism serves more as a sign of God's promises to those who put their faith in him uh, rather than a sign of someone's faith. That's right. right. That's right. And so um, maybe we can touch on this a little bit since we're talking about kind of God working the same throughout all of Scripture, and throughout all of history. How would you say that baptism in the church today uh, relates to circumcision in the Old Testament? I was just going to ask that. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs>
2: So, so that's the softball question. Yeah. I Appreciate yeah, that it one, is. You're and welcome. you set me up there. Put, You're welcome. Put it on the tee. Let me see if I can at least hit a double. Um, <laughs> baseball <laughs> reference, not hockey, boys. Um, All right, I'll figure <laughs> it out. Um, What's s- baseball? <laughs> so the uh, the connection with the old. So here's here's you know God has always um, throughout history. Um, associated his works of salvation with signs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mm -hmm. in the old Testament, there there were a number of signs, uh, but kind of the the Uber sign of all signs was the sign that he gave to Abraham. So Abraham was a man, you can read this in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. uh, Abraham was one man whom God made a promise to. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and you're going to bless the nations. And so Abraham, you know, we would believe that 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 was the promise of of salvation and life offered to this man that was received by faith alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And accompanying that promise was a sign, and the sign was circumcision. And the sign was to be placed on all adult males belonging to that community along with their children eight days old. Mm -hmm. And so... Without getting into gritty details, circumcision only applied to males in the Old Testament. (laughs) If you don't know what that is, look it up. Yeah. Don't ask us. Or don't. Just don't use Google Images. That's a good point. (laughs) Be careful
1: looking that up. That could get dicey. That's right.
2: So in the Old (laughs) Testament, it was applied only to males and to young male children. um, And it was the sign of belonging to the visible community of belonging to God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, fast forward many years, there were other signs. Think of Noah in in the... the rainbow Uh, but you come you fast forward to the new testament um, jesus comes and um, and there's there's a new sign given in the early years of jesus's earthly ministry he's baptized with water Uh, the the the, the heavens open above and said this is my son with whom i am well pleased Um, colossians 2 is 2 verse 12 is one of the verses that we connect to, to circumcision and mm-hmm. baptism. And so essentially the New Testament affirms that the old sign, circumcision, has now been replaced with a new one, water
1: baptism. Yeah. <clears throat> and you could almost, I don't know if you would, if, if you would disagree with this, please correct me. But the way that I would almost see that is uh, baptism is while it's the same promise and the same covenant, like the same promise that God made to Abraham is the same promise we have in Jesus as Christians. Uh, the the change in sign is almost representative of the new way the promise is being given in the church because circumcision, uh, in addition to only being given to males was kind of an ethnic marker for Israel. Whereas baptism then expands so that the sign can be received by anyone. You don't have to be an Israelite to receive the sign or a man or a certain age or would you would you agree that the sign change is kind of a representative of the expansion in the church?
2: That's absolutely right, Andy. So so there are certainly things that were continuous, and we would say that the sign was continued to be applied to both believers and their children. But there are things that changed about the sign too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was now to be applied to females. Um, it was now uh, to be it was it was now not just ethnic israelites it was now to be applied to believing gentiles Mm -hmm. so yeah there are Mm -hmm. things that that were continuous and the same but also things that were differentiated and and distinct um from the old sign
1: yeah josh do you have any as as the resident credo baptist in this episode do you have any initial thoughts that how, how you would push back on that or any questions about that
0: no it's it's really funny i i'm getting tickled that I keep being called the resident credo Baptist because I don't. (laughs) I I'm not quite sure if that is necessarily the right label for me because I I mean like I know, like I know the argument that is being made and I follow it and I would I would also articulate it like it makes it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I'm honest, the reason I say I don't know if I can fully call myself a credo Baptist is because like. I think that we see like as a physical example we see credobaptism happen in the Bible and like mm-hmm. I don't know any stories of 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 like uh baptism However, uh however the like the covenant like I like I've shared before I like covenant theology and so I yeah. think the covenant theology and that line of thinking and like I think it tracks it makes sense. So I yeah. see both sides and so my stance on it is like uh kind of like what um he was saying earlier it's like one of those open hand issues so i don't want to say i i don't want to say i don't care because that's not right but or like not true uh but like i would like maybe lean more towards uh credo baptism Mm um as a believer but if somebody's baptized as a child i'm also not going to lose my stuff about it either because like i get it and it makes sense and like i'd support it (laughs) <laughs> so okay, i guess I does that you. make me a pedo baptist
1: like what i don't I think, know <laughs> i think you know maybe you're on the fence which is good <laughs> yeah. maybe well, we'll
2: sway you let me push you over the fence josh um,
1: <laughs> do it so do it do it. um
2: so one of the things i think a lot of people you know that have read the bible and and i know you have josh uh i think we what's heard the bible' about <laughs> We've heard about baptism and, and there certainly are examples of of new believers being baptized as adults. Um so sure. which is which is something but but I think um it, and 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 correct me if I'm wrong but uh, you know I, I, I don't know I haven't looked it up lately but I I'm pretty sure there are seven baptisms in uh recorded in the New Testament and five okay. out of those seven are what we call household baptisms. Um, okay. And so, for instance, we'll use Lydia, the seller of purple goods. Uh, she's converted; she becomes a Christian. So this is an adult, fully, you know, acknowledging her need um, uh, for Christ and what He's done. She becomes a Christian, and immediately her household is baptized. Now, what the New Testament doesn't say is, you know, who was in her household. Um, sure. You know, if if there's five examples of this. You know, this is a, again, it's an argument from silence. I get it. Um, but the assumption is there were some young children in, in one of those homes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, so, 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 you know, I'd encourage listeners to to really think through because if, I mean, just allow me just a, f- a few minutes. I hope I'm not hogging time, but you're good. I mean, if, no, you're, if, good. You're, if you're, you know, if you're a, a, an an Israelite by by ethnicity, you've, You've known the Old Testament scriptures. You've been a Jew. You've ra- been raised in the synagogues. You know all these things. You know how God has worked in history. You know your Bible, all these things. And, uh, you know, Jesus comes. There's a new sign. All these things are happening. If your children have always belonged to that community, um, if things were going to change, like if if God were going to say, hey, you know, there's a new sign Baptism is not is now the new thing, and there's new people that it should be applied to. My my thinking is that God would have said something in the Bible, mm, like sure, like, you know, generation after generation after generation has always included children in this community. They've always had the sign on them. Like in my mind, the argument from silence is one of the strongest arguments because. If I'm a, if I'm an Israelite really steeped in the old testament, like if God's gonna change the way things operate, I'm thinking he's gonna put a verse in there somewhere. Yeah. Like he I got it you. seems
1: like that's the kind of thing he would mention. Right. That right. <laughs> that oh children aren't <laughs> included anymore. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. That
1: makes a lot no, of sense. No, that's right.
0: That doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'll, this is a little bit mm-hmm. off topic, but still right there. I think imagine being like one of the first generation, like Israel uh like boys that god's like hey baptism's a thing now that kid was probably so excited like oh thank god like <laughs> there's a new sign
1: praise the lord no more, circum- no yeah. more circumcision well, unfortunately circumcision has continued <laughs> well maybe not new, i don't know if it's unfortunate but besides that you know yeah not Sorry, as a that sign, a little, but just people a little do off it. base
0: but i thought it was funny
1: <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny man um, so Adam, I, I kind of want to play devil's advocate for a minute, if I may, not Please. in the literal sense. Our dispy friends don't get triggered. Um, I'm not I'm not in cahoots with the you're evil the one. antichrist,
0: Andy. Oh gosh. Um, so
1: one of the one of the I think more powerful arguments for credo baptism that I've heard uh, that I would love to hear your take on is uh, an argument that's specifically rooted in Jeremiah 31 and also I believe it's Hebrews 8. They kind of go to in the new Testament uh, talking about the nature of the new covenant, how the new covenant is better than the old covenant because now uh, you know, God is with all of his people. And so there's this idea that there's more of a purity uh, than there was in the old covenant. And that's why children who have not yet made a profession of faith shouldn't be baptized uh, so, hmm. so how do you see that working as far as the nature of the new covenant and kind of the purity of the church? Uh, do you how would you respond to that kind of argument? I've got one question: Have
2: you ever baptized somebody who proved to not be a Christian?
1: <laughs> hmm. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so you know,
2: <laughs> as much as we want to guard who belongs to the church, the reality is. We are mere men who don't know the people's hearts, mm-hmm, and right. so we do the best of our judgment. And as with our children, you know, one of the one of the kind of phrases I like to really use a lot is that we presume our children are believers until they prove otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as as much as I um, I really resonate with the the baptistic desire to keep the sacrament and the church pure, the reality is. They've baptized people who have proven to not truly be believers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. So, um, you know, so I mean, it just, it just, it just cuts the argument at the knees. Yeah. Um, because the reality is, we would baptize nobody.
1: Yeah, that's true. If we. <laughs> so, um, to to kind of add on to this question, so we we're talking about household baptism earlier. You mentioned in Acts and other places in the New Testament, there's mention of household baptisms. Uh, and if, if we're baptizing the children of believers, should unbelieving adults in the households of believers also be baptized or why not? If not,
2: um, unbelieving adults of believers, I, don't, so, so I, like I need if, to know a scenario. On that. So
1: for example, if the head of the household is a believer and they've got like adult children and, who won't move out and
2: get jobs on their yeah, own. Yeah, exactly. Life. Cool. <laughs> they're not
1: believers. Should they be baptized? Got it. Um,
2: So the, the answer is actually yes. Hmm. Um, Baptism belongs to the household Mm -hmm. based on, so our, our, our understanding is, is headship. So, you know, somebody who's, you know, sleeping on the couch and dad's still paying the bills belongs to his headship. Mm -hmm. And so because we don't think anything saving is happening through baptism, we would say bring them into the visible community and around the good news about Jesus. Mm. Um, but really where that, where that kind of stops, you know, you know, the, the record hits the, the streak there, um, is, is adult believing children, um, who don't have jobs and live at home, still probably don't want to receive baptism. Yeah. So if, if they were to make a negative <laughs>
1: profession, you wouldn't like try to force baptism that's right. on them. That's exactly If that. they were indifferent, like a small, <laughs> in some hypothetical universe, <laughs> if they were indifferent, like a small child was, that's right. You would baptize, baptize them. Baptize them. But that universe probably doesn't exist. That's right. So,
2: <laughs> so one of the other questions that, that I've had asked, yeah. Um, is should the, um, uh, so should the spouse, Hmm. Of an unbelieve or of a believing other spouse, so so you have one spouse who's believing and others who's not belong to the church. Can they become members of a church? Hmm. Should they be receive baptism? And so again, because the nature of our understanding is, you belong to the visible community of God's people. Of course, we would want
1: you would want them
2: them there. Um, Okay, and so um, so I I I mean I we could kind of get bogged down in every hypothetical scenario of course but the principle yeah. is this the sign says i i'm belonging to the the physical community now where we move beyond that is when we get to discussion which is you know podcast in a few weeks here probably on communion hmm. the lord's supper right so
1: that's a different you wouldn't include necessarily an unbelieving uh, a spouse who's made a negative profession in that's right. receiving communion that's things right. like that that
0: makes that's sense right.
1: yeah um so, any, any other questions from you, Josh? Any other pushback that you would offer?
0: No, so, I, well, I have more so a, a question than a pushback. I think it's interesting, um, just, like, really understanding, uh, I mean, what you were just saying about, you know, how baptism doesn't save you. It's more so, we're, you know, just a mark of, of being in the body. It sounds like there's, I mean, there's a trend where people are, uh, instead of baptizing their children, they are... Uh, what's it called not committing them but dedicating. what's the word it's dedicating the word yeah they're looking for they're dedicating yeah. yeah they're dedicating their child to the church saying they're going to be raised so in your mind is that basically like you're just doing the same thing with different words right
2: that's right so people who dedicate their children are doing the same thing we are they're just not going far enough
1: yeah and i got not you using water that's right yeah
2: <laughs> so i frequently i love it um I kind of troll I'm I'm not a big social media troll guy but anytime <laughs> I have some baptistic friends who who they do dedications in their church and they'll they'll post pictures or whatever on on their on their social media I always say you know th- just throw water on them man like you're doing the same thing we're doing just
0: put the water on them <laughs> that's really that's really funny that I never thought about it that way until like this podcast but that's that's an interesting that's insight for sure
1: yeah so, so, so to kind of uh, put it in a package, this kind of understanding of infant baptism, um, so you would say as a paedo-baptist, as someone who holds the covenant theology, you would say that baptism is a sign of belonging to the visible church, right? So it's not a, it's not proof that you're saved. It doesn't save you or anything like that. But it's a sign that you belong to the visible church, the visible community of God. Um, but it's also a, a kind of reminder or a seal of God's promises to believers, right? To the, in a sense to the invisible church, to those who are truly saved. Mm. So I think sometimes some people get caught up in the tension. And I think I know where you'll go with this again, kind of, we've already been there, but sometimes people will get caught up in the tension of if baptism is a sign of promises to those who are truly saved. uh, Why, why would we give it to people who are just part of the visible church and not necessarily, we don't know if they're. And
2: um, well, I, I, th- I actually don't know if I agree with your statement. Annie. Okay. So, so <laughs> uh, your, your suggestion was that when we abap- when we baptize professing adult believers, that we know that they are quote, truly saved. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that we, to the best of our ability have discerned that they've made a credible profession of faith, mm-hmm. but by no means would I be so audacious as to say they are truly saved. Yeah. Um, so the distinction that we make in our circles of the visible and the invisible church, um, those boundaries are determined by God. Yeah. So we mm. make distinctions on who belongs to the visible church, um, professing adults based on a credible profession. We're having a membership class tomorrow. Andy's supposed I'm to be I'm going. There. So
1: we'll
2: <laughs> Good job, have, Andy. Intervi- we'll have interviews, you know, to the best of our ability. Our elders will interview those individuals and say, hey, to the best of our ability, we're discerning that you're a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the distinction is made between the, I mean, the invisible church is the universal elect people of God. We don't know who that is. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it kind of goes back to that Baptistic argument. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, to the best of my ability, I think Andy's a believer. Uh, but at the end of the day, if he walks away from the faith and, and he proves otherwise, you know, no, no guilt on my conscience for... You know, receiving him, he's already yeah. been baptized. But if if we baptized him as an adult, um, so I think I think those are categories that we just need to be really sensitive and careful mm-hmm. with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're we're humans. This is yeah. an earthly church.
1: So our the signs that we're responsible are for the visible church, not for the invisible church. That's right. That's yeah, right. and yeah, I think you're right. It, it goes back to that Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8 kind of argument again. Like if we're if you're going to make that argument, you can't baptize anyone because you don't know if anyone's saved. That's right.
0: That's right. I have I have one more question, and it might be it might be too big. Um, Let's hear it. I want to hear it. I'm excited. Here. Well, I just I just want to know, like, so, because uh, I genuinely don't know the answer to this question from your guys' perspective. Then, uh, as far as uh, f- forms, not the right word either, but like the way you carry out baptism like is is submerging off the table or sprinkling is like the only way to do it does it not matter like what are the what are your thoughts on that
1: throw it down andy come on i was actually just reading about this the other day to prepare for this episode Um, (laughs) and adam can probably offer a much more meaningful answer than i can but um i was reading i and i'm not authoritative enough to cite myself so i was reading a book by john murray which i'd highly recommend this i'll put a link to this book in the show notes but I was Perfect. reading a book by John Murray called Christian Baptism, and it's a great it's a great book if you're in, if you're curious about paedo baptism you want to learn more. It's a great little it's a short little book. It's, I don't even think it's a hundred pages. And he was he was doing a survey basically in the first chapter of how uh, the words which are translated baptism or related to what we translate to baptism are used throughout the Bible through the Old mm-hmm. Testament and the New Testament. And the the evidence actually overwhelmingly does not support the idea that the words only mean immersion. Actually, many of the the cases where those words are used, uh, they are certainly not immersion. Some kind of dipping or maybe sprinkling, but definitely not immersion. And there's a few cases where they they do mean immersion or could mean immersion, but that doesn't mean they always mean immersion. And so uh, the idea that baptism in the new testament is always immersion just isn't really supported textually and even in examples of baptisms we have we don't actually know if they were full immersion in the new testament so for example one one example that people like to use is the the eunuch that philip baptized in acts and it says that he went they went down into the water and then they came back up out of the water and a lot of times baptists will point to that and be like oh see he went down into the water he was immersed but the text actually says that they both went down into the water, <laughs> and they both came up. So that must mean then that Philip also went underwater with the eunuch, or it just means they stepped down into the water. Sure. And so so I think it's actually when you look at the textual evidence, it's pretty clear that um, immersion, while it might be how baptism is done in some cases, certainly isn't how it's done in all cases. Sure sounds any, pretty authoritative any, to me <laughs> <laughs> anything to add <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry i get passionate when uh, i uh he
2: he read more than i did this week so all it all it job, takes andy. is one chapter
1: of a book and i think i'm an expert so <laughs> there
0: you
2: go no i think that's right but here let me let me just piggyback on that and tell andy that uh i don't think you know i don't think the bible mandates uh i don't think it's very clear that we must do it one way or another mm-hmm, full sure. immersion or sprinkling um i think i think the bible allows that those margins of uncertainty for practical reasons perhaps there's not always yeah. enough water uh, we we meet in a you know in a school um and so sprinkling works well for us um, yeah I think, I, think, <laughs> I think there is some good symbolism behind um you know there's old testament background to sprinkling on the altar the people of god those kinds of things Mm -hmm. um but but i'll i'll be the first one to admit um i don't think the bible's explicitly clear nor mandates that one form or the other um is the way uh to baptize an individual
0: yeah sure sweet
1: yeah good job thanks (laughs) (laughs) so josh are you a convinced Pado baptist now or
0: I don't know, it is away? it is a pretty uh it's a pretty solid argument. Mm-hmm. I like I said, I do like it, and I, I mean I'm definitely like on the fence. It's almost yeah. now like I want I'm interested to see what Marty has to say when yeah. we record the the other episode about baptism. When we record
1: the Credo baptism episode. Dun, 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 dun I'm gonna be all alone on that one. Ooh. Bring I'll, your bring your posse, Josh. I'll text you. Yeah, I'm just couple. gonna
0: be
2: like, Yeah, Jackson's Andy over, sucks. That's my argument. Jackson's over here like Pumping me up. Just I'm going uh, <laughs> to text. Rubbing I'll be texting Adam
1: while we're recording it. that episode. <laughs> so I'll be like, Adam, you hey, said this. My response? <laughs> That's what I'll have to do. Um, uh, yeah. So so any uh, closing thoughts? Adam, anything that you maybe wanted to get out in this episode that you didn't? Or, man, or anything like that? No. I mean, I think,
2: uh, you know, I, I'm not a... You know, we're I'm Presbyterian, so experience. You know, we, we always undermine that, but like having children of my own did change this a, a little bit. Um, not because I just wanted like cute pictures of my kids, you know, getting water on them with the pastor, but like something <laughs> something changed when I began to think about how God related to my children
1: hmm. okay. and
2: how I how I would teach them about that. And one of the things that's that's kind of bothered me bothered i don't know i don't lose sleep over it but <laughs> um one of the things that i've always been curious about i guess is the inconsistency of the of the credo Baptists in the way they raise their children basically as though they're believers hmm. um as though okay. they belong to the church and so you know at the end of the day I, i've got a lot of a lot of a lot of friends brothers sisters who are, are on 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 opposite views on this with me and I love them. Um, and I like to jab at them. Um, but I I do think, I, I think this is a very important thing for us to think through. Um, I think this, this really fills in our understanding of the church and the role the church has in the life of us as individuals, but also our children. We have lots of kids at our church and, um, I just love the, the vision, um, and and the picture that, that, uh, baptism depicts. So anyway, just closing thoughts there, just thinking about my own kids. And I had the privilege of baptizing two out of three of them. I wasn't ordained, uh, when I, when my first child was born, but,
0: um, Hmm. yeah, those are some closing thoughts for me.
1: Awesome. Thanks. Josh, any, uh, closing thoughts on your end?
0: No, except like, thank you so much for your time, Adam. Uh, it's been awesome and it was great to meet you and I'm excited to, uh, we will have to have you on more often.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, we'll have you on for some other anytime. I feel like I'm not ready to.
0: Sounds good. To take it on, <laughs> I'll, I'll invite you. That's cool. We'll, <laughs> we'll have to for that. we'll have to do we'll have to do uh, an episode about <clears throat> about salvation. That'll be a fun one. I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about sin as a vocational issue, and then we'll go from there and see what happens. Oh, He's a big N.T. right fan. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, He's a big N.T. Wright fan. Huge N.T. Yeah, Wright man. fan. Like, all sure. he talks about is N.T. right Is basically. that right? <laughs> okay. Right on. Yeah, and my wife cries, <laughs> like, why do you talk about him and not me? Just kidding. That's not true. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not sure all right, man. I'd All right, man. I'd love to come back,
2: and anything but a hockey edition, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get involved with.
0: All right. Well, you have to at least admit that the Washington Capitals are better than the Avalanche, don't, just for my don't ego. Say it. Before where, where are
2: the Avalanche from? The avalanche Colorado, Colorado from Denver. Oh, so I'll pick up by location. Uh, Southwest Denver. Oh, uh, there we go. Dang That's it! All right, he's Dang rooting for it. the Avalanche. But I'm all actually right. I'm on all I'm on all things Pittsburgh fans. So he is. So you're a, like a Penguins fan?
1: should be a Penguins so fan. So neither of us like you then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I I have a the deg. Dead gwyn's t-shirt where like it's the Pittsburgh Penguin logo, but it has a like the Penguins dead and it has a hockey stick in it. Wow, I do own that's that pretty, t-shirt. Pretty harsh, it's serious. Pretty it goes harsh, against man. my it goes against my nonviolent uh, Josh convictions is a pacifist, and tendencies.
1: So <laughs> that's pretty weird. Whoa, yeah, okay, that's <laughs> yeah. another episode. That's another episode. yeah All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Theology Doesn't Suck. Uh, hopefully, you've gotten something out of it. If you have children and they're not baptized, go get that done. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you have any questions, comments—if you have a question for Adam, for Josh, or for myself—you can reach us at uh, TheologyDoesntSuck.com suck.com on the contact us page. Uh, also, you can follow us on Instagram.
0: Instagram. Which, uh, it's
1: it's at theology doesn't suck. Pretty simple. Uh, we will sometimes look at messages on there, but if you want to reach us, the website's the best way. Uh, We hope you will join us next week, and until then, sayonara, eat some pizza, and baptize your children.